The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonhalls, or Success Publishing International. More willpower than a barefoot woman at a shoe sale. Able to stretch a single paycheck for an entire month. Makes money concepts easier than third grade math. Introducing your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonhalls. Work all day, stress all night. Take your mind off your money and focus on your life. Money don't matter for the stuff it bought. It's the way you think, not what you've got, yeah. Unlock Your Wealth Radio starts now. Get your money mind right. Welcome to the show, everyone. It's so great to have you a part of Unlock Your Wealth Radio on our special Atlas Society Week. I'm Heather Wagonhalls, and I am joined today with philosopher David Kelly, who is also the founder of the Atlas Society. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Heather. Delight to be with you here. Yay! We've been having so much fun, and we're helping educate people about objectivism because... Frankly, sometimes people, when I say, you know, when they ask my political affiliation, I say, well, I'm an objectivist. And they're like, well, what's that? And and so this is kind of helping people to understand that what this is, because sometimes people get, you know, uh, a warped assumption because they, they would not have a frame of reference, but they make an assumption based on Ayn's novels that have critical acclaim, like The Fountainhead or Atlas Shrugged. And, and they think, oh, well, it's about rich people. And then all the connotations with that goes on. Oh, well, that's not me. But I think more people are objectivists than what they realize. And so this week we've had the opportunity to celebrate objectivism together in honor of part three being complete and being released in theaters at the end of the week. And we've already discussed so far the achievement part of one of the tenets of objectivism. And we also talked about the role of the individual and individualism with objectivism. And today, what do you have on tap for us? Today, we're talking about freedom. Today, we're in, we're doing politics uh, and political philosophy. Perfect. And um, I'm glad you raised the issue of people having uh, this misconception. And it is a total misconception that Ayn Rand was in favor of uh, a, a, a kind of society which rich people are the only important ones mm-hmm. and everyone's about money because that is so completely a myth. Right. We actually have, my organization, the Atlas Society, has published a book called Myths About Ayn Rand and one of them is Ayn Rand was in favor of, uh, was all about uh, money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me start by making the obvious point. Atlas Shrugged. In Atlas Shrugged, there are a lot of rich people. They're pretty much evenly divided between true, good, rich people who have made their money honestly by production mm-hmm. and villains who are rich because they've been manipulating the government and they're crony capitalists. Mm-hmm. It's not about money. Money is a tool of exchange. And as Francisco uh, Danconius says in one of the iconic moments in yes. the novel and in the movie, part two. Yes, Isai Morales. Isai Morales uh, in part two, uh, which came out two years ago, said, uh, <clears throat> if you made your money by honest production, by voluntary trade, it's a badge of honor. 
if you made it by backroom deals, by uh, the aristocracy uh, of, of pull. pull, my favorite, <laughs> right? Which is Ayn Rand's name for what we now call crony capitalism, and she was so so prescient about it, all of this. Then it is you're just a taker, you're a looter. Mm -hmm. So it's not about money, it's about production. It's about honesty in creating value, that's what production is, mm -hmm. and about trading... The exchange the of that value. Right. Freely, voluntarily. I don't sell to you unless you want what I have. I don't... Well, if you think about it, and, and, and if you think about economics over time, okay, if you had chickens and eggs, and I was the hog farmer... Okay, we could swap. I could sell you bacon for eggs, for chickens, but we didn't count that in a separate measure of exchange. I got so many chickens for my pig, and then we could both go down the road and take our chickens and pigs and eggs, and then we could go to the guy that had cows or the guy that grew broccoli. We could go and exchange that, and and. Then, for some reason, when the tool of exchange was just barter without a physical representation of how much eggs are worth or how much pigs are worth or what have you, that it was okay back then, but all of a sudden it became not okay when it just became a dollar sign. Well, that's the thing, but money as a tool of exchange, mm -hmm. you're going to find that money enables a scale of exchange that's you know, much more uh, widespread and mm -hmm. much more efficient than, than barter. Right. But it requires a certain amount of abstraction to understand that money is the common denominator of the values of what gets produced. And that understanding of the abstraction, maybe we'll get to that when we talk about reason, mm -hmm. which is one of our uh, coming shows. But the fact is that, that once you have an economy like that, people can get money, both by honest exchange, barter to barter. Right. I produce my eggs, you produce your pigs, uh, or by going to government and imposing restrictions on your competitors or getting a subsidy, which is what we see in our economy. Well, yeah, because the guy down the street has more pigs than I do. Yeah. And he's selling the bacon cheaper. Right. So you like you're not going to want to do business with me. If he's competing with you, if he's doing a better job than you, too bad for you. I mean, maybe you should... In the real world, it should be that way. Right. But, but with crony capitalism. But when, when the government says, okay, we're going to give him a subsidy, or we're going to put restrictions uh, that apply to both of you, but they're onerous restrictions that only he can afford to pay... Right. And he's lobbying for them. Gotcha. Now we're Now we're into not a free economy, but a regulated, subsidized economy. Okay. So, but let's step back from all this. The point about freedom is that, goes back to what we were saying about individualism. Individuals have to make their own decisions. And that's the independence part. And they have the right to live for themselves. That's the, you want to call it the egoist or the selfish part of mm -hmm. it? That's fine. I don't care. As long as you understand the proper terms of it. Mm -hmm. So in a free society, the, the point of, of what the government does is to enable people 
to live by those principles so that you and I can both act independently. If we agree, we can cooperate. If we don't agree, we can go our separate ways. Mm-hmm. We're, not, we're not joined, locked at the hip by some government program. Mm-hmm. If we, um, you live for yourself, if you want to give to charity, that's fine. If I want to give to charity, that's fine. If I'm, if I'm suffering and I come to you and I, I say, look, I'm down on my luck, Heather, could you help me? Mm-hmm. You may or may not, depending on your judgment of my character and, and how much, you know, what you have. I'm a loan shark, so <laughs> I hope you want to pay my interest. Or you make me a loan, and I can take it or right. take it or leave it. But if I but if I'm Find feeling it. good, I can say, you know what, David, I've done well this year, and I would love to help you out because you mean a lot to me. You bring value to my life. I'm gonna I'm gonna help you out because okay. I want to. Right. That's that's what freedom's about. But when the government steps in and says we're gonna have a welfare state, and Heather. You're a part of your income that you might otherwise have decided how to give to people that you care about. Freely, help. of my own volition. That's been nationalized. Now, now the government will make those decisions. They will give to people by their standards. Uh, and all of these in, in, incursions on a free society, mm-hmm. <clears throat> all the growth from a state in which the government is simply enforcing property rights and contract rights and keeping the peace and protecting us against, you know, foreign invaders. All the steps the government has made over the last 200 years to expand the role of government between welfare and regulation, all of them are encroaching on our individual ability to to live our lives, to make our own decisions and to live for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's why freedom is an essential thing. That's that's the original American mm-hmm. conception. Agreed. Agreed. So this is a money management radio show at its essence. It's about money management. But we do money management differently. We're brain-based financial literacy. So is we already know to spend less and save more, but we don't. And it's because we're biologically set up to fail at that. So how can my understanding of freedom in this general sense of me being able to choose what to do with my own money, how does that help me as an individual, so this is touching on yesterday's show, and uh, achieve the first show and be able to prosper? And why is that important to me? Because this is a personal finance show, why am I listening to politics? Why am I listening to success and motivation? Why am I listening to, you know, individual championship? Why am I listening to this and why is this relevant to me? And, and today with freedom, okay, you're telling me this. So, so why, do I, why do I need to be concerned with this as an individual? Here's why. In a situation of freedom, you would also be responsible. You would not have. You would not be able to go to the government and say, "I didn't save, so now that I'm old, you save me." Okay. <laughs> Freedom comes with responsibility, and when people know they're free, and freedom is a given, mm-hmm. and the government is not coming to rescue you, mm-hmm. then you're responsible, and in that condition, 
hopefully, if we ever achieve it, we don't have it now. It'll be a long time before we have it, mm -hmm. if we do. But in that situation, you will grow up knowing that your future depends on you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't save, there's no one coming. Right. So you better save. Right. Now, most of us who are a little more conversant know that we're not, we're not really counting on Social Security. Right. I mean, I'm 65. I'm about to, I'm, not, I'm still working, so I'm not going to go on it right away. Right. But, but by 70 and a half, you're going to be forced to take it. I, I am, yes. And, you know. And you if know, you want to keep working and philosophizing <laughs> and doing your thing. So I'll get this little monthly thing. Right. Um, it's, that's not what I'm counting on. But that's because I know I'm, a, uh, I'm an objectivist, so mm -hmm. I, I have my own internal compass mm -hmm. uh, on these matters, and I wish everyone did. And I don't blame people who count on Social Security because we've... But they were conditioned for that. You pay into the system, you get from the system. Right. And, you know, let's just pause a moment on that. Because sure. this is really crucial to the future of American freedom. Take Social Security. Uh, I don't blame people for counting on that as a source of income. I don't because I'm, you know, I, I've been fortunate in life and I've been successful in life. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It is so evil. Social Security was in, uh, introduced in the, in the 1930s by Roosevelt mm -hmm. to protect elderly poor people during the, the Great Depression. But to make it politically viable, he made it universal. So it was not a poverty program. It, everyone was recruited to it. So everyone paid into it. And that way, and everyone was to get benefits. And that way he thought no one could ever, ever eliminate this program. So now, 70 years later, we have a program in which everyone's paid in during, with payroll taxes during their life. Everyone will, has some expectation of an income. That income may or may not be enough to live on depending on how... How much you paid in, how long. Everyone thinks that they earned it, that it's like an investment program, which it isn't mm -hmm. because the money comes in in taxes from those of us who are working, it goes out to people yes. who are retired <laughs> or not working. It's nothing like a genuine, I mean, if this were done on a private scheme, it would be illegal and people would go to jail for it. Uh, but the point is that in, in a genuine free, free economy where this was not available, there would be all kinds of insurance against injury or disablement. Um, there were actually were, I know this because I wrote a book about it, um, there actually were the, the rudiments of such insurance schemes at the beginning of the 20th century in Britain and America before okay. uh, uh, Roosevelt and collectivism took over. So here's the point. There, there, there the market is adaptable. The free market is adaptable to the needs of people. If there's a genuine need 
and a genuine possibility of providing a value, people will come up with it. And that it will generally be much better than what government can offer, whether it's investment, retirement products, or insurance products. Mm -hmm. uh, and But we now live in a mixed economy where the government has a, a huge welfare state, huge, mm -hmm. in which we are all recruited. All of us are recruited into this welfare state. Because it's not just for, welfare state means not just the poor people, but it's Social Security and Medicare. Right, and it's all these other things that it didn't need to be. All the middle class things that we all get benefits from and all pay into. So no one knows what they've earned, truly. Right. And that sucks. Yeah, Not because language, it, 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 it does. And, and, and when I think about, you know, government overregulation uh, in, 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 in the financial sense, you know, if you have a need, if you have a true need for financial assistance, your religious organization is very responsive. The Catholic Church is one of the largest corporations in the world. Okay, if you think about all the wealth that the Catholic Church has, your, your religious organizations have tons of money to make to assist you. Because the key word is assistance, okay? You know, not subjugation permanently <laughs> to right. to a financial to a financial dependence. It's assistance and not a right. Exactly, and there's nonprofit organizations where people volitionally donate to things. I mean, I just I think of what's going on currently. Okay, so you know everybody's doing this ALS ice bucket dump thing. <laughs> okay, yeah. and somebody called me out on it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to write the check. I don't want to do the thing. I got called out publicly. Although it would have been cheaper for me to not do it. The whole point is raising money, right? So, like, if I dump ice, then I'm not giving money. So I thought, but that's kind of silly. So I gave money instead. And part of why I did is because I have a friend that's, that um, uh, has a related type of illness and has, you know, muscular dystrophy. And so... Because I care about finding a cure for my friend, I give to other nervous disorder type of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I do that voluntarily over of my own volition. If, if, let's say I didn't have that personal connection and Uncle Sam told me I had to, I'd be less likely. And I would be, you know, I, I think that all of this government overregulation forces us to become disingenuous. So now, like if I go out to lunch, I'm going to, you know, and, and I let's say you and I have a business lunch and we discuss writing a next book together, right? Well, I'm going to write that off. But, you know, the likelihood of me remembering to do that, I'm like, I got to save the receipt, then I got to turn it in. I'm like, whatever. So now I'm going to make sure because my money is not being directed the way I want, I'm going to take every single deduction I could possibly get. And so I'm going to say, how much did you give for a tip on that, David? Because I'm writing that down too. <laughs> I'm getting it. I'm maximizing this. So, so, so it creates this negative cycle, I think, when we lose our economic freedom. You know, because I think that we are basically a good people. As humans, we are basically good. We, we crave community. And so part of our 
achievement helps others when we individually achieve. Like if, we, if I could take and sum up all of objectivism in one kind of thing, yeah. you know, so when I'm told that I can't make decisions over my own money and that the dollar that I earn, that I need to give up 28 cents of it. And, and I'm thinking, well, why am I going to work so hard? And then it just plays into Atlas Shrugged. At some point, I'm going to get tired of being in the highest tax bracket. And I'm going to go away. So fine. Okay, if you guys think you can do it better than me, have at it. Hmm. Well, that's the thing. When government takes over a function, whether it's industrial planning or picking winners and giving subsidies to a business or nationalizing charity, which is what the welfare state's about. They mm-hmm. nationalize charity. Uh, you have your preferences about what where you would put your philanthropic money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a certain amount of discretionary income. For me, as an intellectual a teacher, I want to give to people with intellectual talent. Mm-hmm. I want to fund students. That's that's my passion, mm-hmm. and I would do it. But I, I, you know, you give at whatever level you can. I give what I can, but it's much less than if the government is taking and giving to. I don't know. I don't know who they give to. Analyzing the methane gas from cows farting? Well, there's that. But I just, my tax money is spread among students. Yeah, okay, I'm for that. Um, drug addicts, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm not I'm not really in favor of that. Uh, Solyndra, no, I'm not in favor of that. I don't want my money going there. I, if I wanted to, I would invest in them in the right. you know, honest market and all that <laughs> stuff. But... Um, the point is government has nationalized so many of the decisions that individuals should be able to make whether they are about business or about philanthropy or about the way they live when government makes those decisions we don't and we should be upset about it we should be wildly upset about it I think that just the conditioning over the years and, you know, back to brain-based financial literacy, we adopt what we've been taught and our primary caregivers adopted what they were taught. And then what do they do? They recycle that information. You know, we think of multi-generational poverty. We think of multi-generational abuse. We think of all of these things that get handed down from generation to generation. And not just the way great-grandma cooked the Thanksgiving turkey. You know, negative things get handed down too. And we never question it. We never, we just take it as, that's what it is. That's, that's, that's you know, that is so true, Heather. Um, and in terms of human psychology, think about it. Yes. The, uh, the countless the, things. What are the important things in a human life for most of us? One is our education. Mm-hmm. Then our career. Mm-hmm. Then our retirement. Mm-hmm. We turned over our education to the state. Yeah. We've tur- not turned over our careers or the work life of mm-hmm. adult totally, but we're heavily regulated. And we've turned over retirement to the state. So two out of three of the most important functions of a human life, uh, two out of the three of the most important human stages in life 
are now state-run. Mm -hmm. And no one, no one objects. This is, but to me as a philosopher, this is shocking. This is so shocking compared to the conception of America. I think the the, we need an office of the morale conditioner <laughs> to condition <laughs> people out of this. That would be... Because, because that's the problem. We've been yeah. conditioned to believe that this is the way it is and so we should operate in this. Yeah. But, you know, folks from other countries don't get subsidized education. And so when they get here, I think that that's why immigrants so far out achieve Amer multi-generational Americans because they know what, they, that, that what Americans take for granted. Because they never had it. They don't really under... I think maybe could that be a fair assessment? As Americans, we don't truly understand the freedom that we're given. And so because we haven't understood it, we've allowed it to creep away under the auspices that it's for our own good. Well, I, that that's actually kind of a tricky question, Heather, because um, the, the, the places like South Korea, mm -hmm. Japan or for that matter, many of the European countries that are sending students here mm -hmm. who have um, training that exceeds uh, American students. Mm -hmm. um, those are all collectivist countries. They're all authoritarian. They're state-run on, on an authoritarian basis. Meaning, you know, we don't have any problem with elitism. We're gonna give A's to the, the bright kids and D's or F's to the non-bright kids. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas in America, we have a more dem democratic. Oh, but he tried hard. And he tried hard, yes. And when you combine that, you know, egalitarian spirit with collectivism, uh, you actually get worse results than if you combine a collectivist framework with a, a non-egalitarian. I'm, I'm sorry to Morgan. say this. Right. I'm sorry to say this, but well, my husband, you know, my husband does a lot of business with China and he's like, they're beating us. Hello. They're beating us, even though. As we get more collectivist, our democratic uh, aspects and um, more egalitarian aspects are not serving us well. No, they're hurting us. Yeah. They're, they're detrimental to where we are. Now, if we had, if we had true freedom and true individualism, Collectivism would not stand a chance anywhere in the world, like in in competition. Mm -hmm. So, how do we assert ourselves and take back our individual freedom? Because Walk it because individual freedom supersedes economic freedom, you know, and and physical freedom, and you know, governmental freedom. Well, we're still a free country. We are not living under ISIS. Uh, uh, or any kind of, you know, collective... Oh, who are you kidding? <laughs> well, we're not. <laughs> That's another show. That's another show. Um, I mean, but th but think of it. I mean, we're not living under Putin. Um, uh, we're not... America is still a relatively free country. We, we, we're still a, supposedly allowed to believe what we want. And for all the constraints in our behavior, for all the, the money that's taken from us in taxes, mm -hmm. um, outside those, which are... And I oppose all of that, but uh, it, we're still left with a degree of freedom. So you you have your own garden to cultivate, and you can do better or worse. And everything you can do to promote your own life 
leaves you with less than you would otherwise have as a realm of opportunity. But you have that, whatever remains, is, is a significant realm of opportunity. And people live, are able to achieve success and happiness. So that's the first thing. You're an individual. Is Your own life counts. That's what you live for. Within the framework of what you have, go for it. But also, and I would say, since we're talking about the, 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 the wider political issue of freedom, the more you do that, you are an example of what could be. Mm -hmm. You are living the life of freedom. And every, every person has ramifications on everybody else. Uh, people observe you. And when you flourish in your life, and you, especially if you can articulate what makes it possible uh -huh. and articulate how you are using your freedom and wish you had more, uh -huh. how you are taking responsibility and are prepared to take more, you have an, you have an impact. Individuals learn from individuals. And, and in so doing, we can inspire others. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the most powerful thing. One of the things that I, I say this now, uh, I, I said it all the time when my stepson was was small, but and now I'm saying it to my friend's daughter, uh, whose mother's not real present in her life. I always ask her, how do you want to be remembered? And when you ask that question first, then you understand how you need to act. And do you want to be the person that stands up for herself, that defends herself appropriately, and that achieves? And if the answer is yes, then you know what your choice is. Yeah. You know, That's a great it, question. I love that question. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You know, I just... Um, it's the one thing that I think that if more people asked of themselves, their choices would be driven differently. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think people make decisions under the auspices of altruism, that they're that they want to be remembered as somebody who was great and magnanimous. But you have to, like we talked about in a previous show, you must achieve first before you can have the benevolence to give to others. Exactly. You know, and I and, and I and I always use this this analogy of you have to have a full pitcher of water mm -hmm. in order to fill other people's cups. Yeah. If your pitcher is empty, how on earth are you going to support these other people? You must at some point go back to the well and refill yourself. Selfishness is inherently good and we have to figure out how we can lose the connotation that somehow it's bad and that thinking of others first is the right thing to do because at the end of the day, you are going to be your biggest champion. Yeah. You are your biggest advocate. You know, mom runs a close second although she appears to be first. <laughs> She'll be a close second. Yeah. And she doesn't want to be well, number mom one. Mom is first. You got a problem. Yeah. And, 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 and I remember my mother saying, oh, but I'm your mother. And I was like, I didn't ask to come here. <laughs> you, <laughs> you're forgetting something. Right. I didn't ask to come here. You asked me in. <laughs> you said, please come into my life. You invited me. <laughs> I didn't. I, did, I had nothing to do with that. So we have to be for ourselves. 
you know, ultimately we're dependent upon folks, obviously when we're babies, because we can't physically defend for ourselves. But once we have the cognitive development, which starts around eight or nine, and this is a great, you know, precursor to tomorrow's show, that's when cognitive development occurs in the prefrontal cortex, which is our ability to reason. And we need to take that and develop it to the extent that we become our own victors as opposed to becoming the mass of victims that we see all over the place. You like that? I got a thumbs up on that one. Yeah, good ending. <laughs> Yay! Well, with that then... That's a coda. Perfect, perfect. Well, thank you again so much for celebrating Atlas Society Week here at Unlock Your Wealth Radio. And we still have two more days to go, so I'm so excited. You have been listening to philosopher David Kelly, founder of the Atlas Society, and I'm Heather Wagonhall saying thanks so much for joining us. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2013 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches Financial Wellness Series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com. 